let's talk about some things we need to know. Let's start by uh, asking this question. Would you rather be in the know or not know? Which one? Any, who, who wants to be in the know? Anybody want to be in the know? Mike's hand went up really fast. I saw that, Mike. Yeah, we as a, as a, as a species, humanity uh, likes to know. And so John's going to leave us today as we finish out this first letter that he wrote was five things that we who follow Jesus and who will eventually follow Jesus, if you're here this morning, you're not doing that yet, I trust you're here for that purpose. But five things that we need to know in following Jesus. I'm with you guys. I think knowledge, like uh, Sir Francis Bacon, his name makes me hungry. But uh, uh, he was the guy who said it first, apparently, knowledge is power. Who believes that that's true? Certainly knowledge gives us power to do things that we couldn't do otherwise. Knowledge gives us the power to find what we lack. If we know enough, I believe this is true, we can figure out the problems that we face in life. Like most of the brain teaser games are built on that. They give you a little bit so that you can figure out the rest. Uh, I do Sudoku. Anybody heard of Sudoku? I don't know if I'm saying it right. Sudoku? I don't know. Whatever. Uh, it's this number game. They put a bunch of numbers on a, on a grid. There's like a nine by nine grid. I'm not going to explain the whole thing. Figure it out on your own. But uh, uh, they, they give you a few numbers so that you can figure out the pattern of the rest of the numbers. And uh, some of them are super easy because there's lots of numbers. And then other ones are like insane. They're super hard because there's hardly any numbers. But I love doing them. And I love having that beginning to find uh, the, the eventual end. I started Wordle yesterday. Has anybody play Wordle? Like literally started playing Wordle yesterday. It's, this, it's like Wheel of Fortune just on your phone. Anyway, uh, you have to try to figure out words. And you, you have to plug letters in there. And as you plug in letters, you can kind of sort out what word it is. It still isn't a good illustration, but you get my point. You start with something, and you end up with, and, and it all begins with what you know that leads to what you need to know. Eleanor calls me uh, right before the first service. Uh, she's trying to get our father, her dad, uh, to the church that he attends here in town, and uh, can't find her keys. Her purse is missing, so she calls me up in a panic. Anybody ever had this conversation with your spouse? Do you have my purse? I'm like, babe. No, I don't carry your purse. I'm not like, this will be funny. And I'm not, you know, I'm not trying to hide your purse on you. She's like, I can't find it. I was like, obviously, if you're asking me. Uh, but, uh, but what did I say to her? What was my first? Where'd you, where, where'd you la- Retrace your steps. And what was I, in essence, saying to her? Start with what you know. <laughs> you, you had this purse somewhere. You drove the car that's in our, driving, uh, our driveway home using the keys that are in that purse. So we know at least it's there. Uh, uh, we can rule out, you know, other places, my truck, church, whatever. And so, just start, and, and so he, she and my father-in-law were just, you know, walking back, every, retracing those steps, doing what they knew to do until 45 seconds later, I'm supposed to be praying with a guy before service starts, the phone rings again, found it, where was it? Trunk. Trunk? What was your purse doing in the trunk? I don't know. Anyway, uh, so if you're missing something today, check your trunk. Who knows? Anyway, but this is, this is, I just think, a true statement in general. Knowledge gives us the power to find what we lack. Knowledge also gives us the power to face what we fear. Knowledge, not you know, entirely, but oftentimes effectively reverses the anxieties of our lives. When we know things, we stop worrying about them. Isn't that true? If, if you're an adult with, uh, you know, children that drive, I, my kids are in their mid to late 20s now. I don't have these same concerns. But when they started to drive, 
one of the things that we mandated is they took our vehicle and left our property and went wherever they were going, right? The rule was when you get there, you either call us or in these days, you text us, right? And they got these cool little apps now on your phone where you can actually track them, which are great. But, uh, but it was still just uh, you know, a standard move. If you're going to go out with our vehicle on your own as you're learning these you know, uh, rules of driving and life like this, uh, just let us know you got there. And that text, as soon as it went, bing, who's got that Pavlov dog thing going, bing, oh. as soon as we would see, you know, I'm here, and then we'd look on the app and find out that's actually true. There were times where that was not true. But anyway, uh, but we would, uh, we would see that everything lines up. There would be this immediate, you know, exhale on her, in her parents' uh, lungs. We'd be fine. We're like, all right, cool. That part of this scariness that is parenting is now over. It reminded me of when our kids were little. And they'd have a hard time going to sleep. Anybody been there? Remember being that kid or being the parent of that kid? I remember being a little guy. I was super afraid of the dark. One of the scars that's on my forehead (laughs) came when uh, my mother and I met at the same doorknob. She was opening it forcefully. I'd been sent to bed uh, because I was being bad. But uh, she opened it forcefully to kind of make a point. I was opening it terrified because I'd been left in the dark. She hit me right here between the eyeballs, knocked me out cold, six stitches, great story, the end. Anyway, uh, but it was all started because I was afraid of the dark. I was afraid of this Sesame Street character uh, that uh, everybody's got something, right? That was mine. There was a puppet on Sesame Street that just freaked me out no end. Every time the lights went out, there he was. (laughs) And my parents would come probably, you know, five, six times, that's too many, often uh, in a week and, and have the same conversation with me. Walk me through the same places in my room. He's not, look, the puppet's not under here. Go to the closet. The, the puppet's not in here. You got to clean that out tomorrow. But the puppet's not in here, right? And then they'd lay me back in the bed and I'd say, ah, but I just don't know. The lights are going to go. Well, leave the door open, the hall lights on. There were some nights they'd even sit outside my door. And here as a little kid was my security was just knowing I could see my dad's foot outside the door, and he'd just wait until his kid passed out so he could go on with the rest of his life. But that knowledge erased my fear. So we all like to know. Everybody like to know? Knowledge is power. It gives us the power to face what we fear. It gives us the power to find what we lack. That's why it's so great that John finishes this epistle with these five facts about life with Jesus. He does them so that we who follow Jesus, who read these things, can find what we lack in the Christ life so that we can face what we fear as we follow Jesus in life. Let's discover them together, starting in verse 13. Five things. The first one's this. Uh, The first thing we need to know is we need to know that Jesus secures eternal life. Now, I'm going to say this right at the beginning here as we enter into the text. Uh, John says some pretty highbrow, uh, meaty statements in these last eight verses of his book. He talks about eternal security. He talks about the nature of prayer and how it works and why it doesn't sometimes. He talks about who we should pray for, perhaps, and who we shouldn't. Uh, it's, It's some weighty stuff. I'm not going to be able to dive deep into any of these five in the ways that probably merit it, but uh, uh, let's start with this one. We need to know that 
Jesus secures eternal life. Look what it says, verse 13. I write these things to you who believe in the name of the Son of God. When it says in the Bible that you believe in the name of the Son of God, it just doesn't mean that you're just you know, focused in the, the actual name Jesus, and I believe that is his name. When you say that you believe in the name of someone, you believe in everything that is that person and what that person is professing to be and what that person has been said, what has been said about that person. They are, as Jesus said, I am the light of the world. I am the son of God. I am uh, the way, the truth, and the life. And when I believe in the name of Jesus, I believe in all of his claims and everything that's been said about him. When we put our faith or we believe in the name of the son of God, we can know that we have eternal life. Who's grateful for that one? Anybody grateful for that? Like as far as you can go into the future for eternity, which you can't measure, uh, God has got us in life if we have put our faith in Jesus to save us from the sin that keeps us from God and that he secures us to a life with him forever. Sandlot, yeah. It's pretty awesome, it's pretty amazing. As John writes in our Bibles, he, he writes with this message, both in his gospel and here in this first epistle and, and the, the epistles that follow. Epistles are letters. John's an apostle. He wrote epistles. All right, anyway. John wrote his gospel, and he said this at the end of that particular writing. In John chapter 20, verses 30 and 31, he says, Now Jesus did many other signs in the presence of the disciples, which are not written in this book. That means John didn't write everything down. But the things that I did write down, these are written so that you what? You may what? You may believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, and that by believing, here it is, you may have what? Life in his name. Now, John is writing his gospel primarily to an audience of people who don't yet believe in Jesus. That's the whole reason he wrote it down. Here's the story of Jesus. Here's who he claimed to be. Here's what happened in his life. He died. He rose again. He, he ascended into heaven to prepare a place for us. If we put our faith in him and in his name, and, and we don't have that yet, we can, by that faith, receive eternal life. It's what he said, it's the, it's the big end zone verse, right? It's what Jesus said to Nicodemus in John chapter three. Everybody say it with me, right? For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son so that whoever believes in him will not perish, but will have, say it, everlasting life, life eternal. He said that so that people who won't or hadn't yet believed could believe and receive life eternal. And he says the same thing here at the end of his first letter, his first epistle. Verse 13 in John, 1 John chapter 5 again. I write these things to you who believe. He's changed his audience. This isn't to the people who don't believe. This is to a bunch of Christians who were under attack. We sang about battles, right? They had been just getting pounded in their church by these false teachers who had brought in all these false ideas. And he was saying, listen, throughout the entire letter, if you've been studying with us, here's how you can know the truth. Here's what is the truth. You should walk in the light as Jesus is in the light. You should walk in love as Jesus is love, uh, as God is love. You, you, should, you should keep the commandments as I express them to them. You, you should stay with the truth that I gave you. And if you do, those of you who believe those things, you can have this confidence. I write these things to you who believe in the name of the Son of God that you may know that you have eternal life. So if you are here today and you have for realsies, put your faith in Jesus Christ. I say it that way because some people haven't. Some people have convinced themselves that as long as I attend church, I have a relationship with God because I'm around the people who have faith in Christ. As long as I'm married to her, I have a relationship with God because her, her relationship's so strong, I'm just gonna kind of sidecar on that. 
As long as I understand and have this mental assent to the truths that Mark and others like him preach, then, then those are the things that save me. The Bible says no. It's not just your mental, or it's not just your relationship, it's not just your location that saves you. It is your heart truly setting everything aside, believing that Jesus is who he says he was, the way, the truth, and the life, and that no man comes to the Father except through him. If you don't ever hear anything else that this church talks about, hear that. That's the true gospel. Jesus alone, by faith alone, through his grace alone, amen. Now, if you got that, here's what the Bible says about you. You are secure for eternity through that faith that God has graced you with in Christ. I went to Top Golf last week, met a guy that I hadn't seen for 35 years. After 35 years, met in high school, we're buddies then. Um, he looks me up and he says, hey, I'm going to be down here visiting some family. Would you like to have lunch? I was like, sure. And it was an excuse to go to Top Golf. I like Top Golf. Uh, golf. Anyway, uh, we go over there. It's been a while since I've been. Has anybody been to Golf? Top Golf? It's, it's like a lot of the other places these days. You need a membership card to get in. And I had a membership card, and for the life of me, uh, you know, uh, couldn't you know, remember where I had put it. Uh, finally found it, figured it was like so old it wouldn't work anymore. So I bring this card, and I, uh, I show it. It's like, does this even work? And he's like, we don't need that anymore. What's your phone number? I rattle off my phone number. And he types it into his computer, and he's like, bing, Mark Saunders, that's me. Do you still live at bing? And I was like, yep. Is this still your phone number? Bing, yep, that's me. Well, you can go play top golf. I was like, thank you very much. And it reminded me that the Bible speaks of a database called the Book of Life. And there are, na yeah, and there, there are names written in the Book of Life. You know whose names are in there? Not everybody in the world. God loves us all, but not everybody that he loves makes the book. The ones who make the book are the ones who by faith Receive Jesus, they have secured eternal life. Know this first. Know that Jesus secures eternal life. Secondly, know, as John continues, that God hears and answers prayer that aligns with his will. God hears and answers prayer, and he qualifies it. He answers the prayers, and here's the prayers that align with his will. Look at what it says in verse 14. And this is the confidence that we have towards him, towards our God, that if we ask anything according to his will, he hears us. And if we know that he hears us in whatever we ask, we know that we have the requests that we have asked of him. This is a great, for instance, for us in terms of us learning the importance of reading verses in their context. Okay, lots of times in Christianity, people love to pull verses out and say, here, here's the truth. And it, I'm not arguing that they're saying something wrong, but sometimes people can pull verses out of their context and people can be left believing something that isn't true. For instance, if you just read verse 15 and you're not a seasoned follower of Jesus like many of us in here are, you would read, and if we know that he hears us in whatever we ask, i.e., if I pray anything, we know that we have the requests that we have asked of him. If you're kind of new to the scriptures and you just read this one verse, you think, oh, anything I ask for, I get. How great is this gig? I just got to bend the knee and ask for it, and God is going to be, you know, the giver of all things to me that I ask for. We, we, people have this mindset about God, and they think, my prayers are like this quarter. 
Back in the day when I was a kid, the only reason I went to the grocery store is because mom might give me a quarter and I can get the big gumball. You know, the kind of gumball that makes a kid's head like, you know, look like he's a Siamese twin, you know, comes out of the side of his face. I love those things. And it didn't happen every time, but there was a chance. If I just stood there and yanked on her, you know, pant leg and begged and whined, she'd be like, oh, fine, give me a, you know, a quarter. And I'd get me a gumball. Love those gumballs. Every time I put a quarter in, guess what? A gumball came out. It's great. Quarter equals gumball. A lot of people have this mindset about Jesus, about God when we pray to him through Jesus. We, we pray to him, we're like, here's our quarter, here's our prayer, and now give me what I want. Does everybody understand the danger of us getting everything we pray for? I don't have the time to go into that, but there is uh, lots to be said about every one of us receiving everything that we pray for. If I, well, I don't have time to get into that. God doesn't give us everything that we pray for. He gives us what we ask for that aligns with his will. That's what it says in verse 14. It says, and this is the confidence that we have toward him, that if we ask anything according to his will, he hears us. That's why he taught his son, Jesus, uh, to teach us, his disciples, how to pray. And we were taught this, our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name, thy kingdom come. Here we go. Thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. That's our prayer. And what, what, what line did we just utter? Thy will be done. We're asking for God's will to be done. We have to be mature enough in our faith to recognize that even if we think it's a great idea, it may not be the best idea. And God knows better than me. And I should trust in him. And whatever he says for my life, even if it's hard, I need to accept it and follow him in it. He gives whatever we ask when it's asked according to his will. It's kind of like a, a mother uh, hearing these words from the mouth of her child. Mom, can I have some celery for a snack? I don't know if that's ever been uttered in your house. <laughs> but I know growing up, when I was uh, growing up, I wasn't asking for no celery. Oreos. Uh, anything with sugar. I'll just eat, I'll eat it right out of the bag, mom. Just give me the sugar bag. I'll just eat that. Never once asked for anything good for me. I wonder what would have happened if my mom had heard me say, mom, can I have a fruit or a vegetable? She would have been so excited. You actually want something that's good for you? That's amazing. Let me get you like piles of that stuff. But I was the kid who was always pushing that to the side of his plate. The one who wasn't allowed to lead the table until the lima beans were gone. Who, that's, i got to ask God about lima beans when I get up there. Anyway, <laughs> but that's how the Father, uh, our Heavenly Father is when we ask him for things that he says, yeah, of course. If you pray to me and ask that you would help me or that, that you would, uh, that I, I've got to get my pronouns right. If I pray to the Father and I say, Father, would you help me be less dependent on myself and more dependent on you. Would you help me to be a better husband to my wife, Eleanor? Would you help me, God, uh, be a better witness to you in the world? The father's like, yeah, bozo. That's what he calls me. Yeah, that's the stuff I've been asking of you the whole time. Let's go. I'll help you with that. So I, I want to do this quickly. I'll try to go as quickly as I can. Some may be saying, hey, I, I ask God for what I assume is his will all the time, and, and yet those things still haven't happened in my life. All right, so let's talk about prayer just briefly, just a prayer primer real quick. The ways that God answers prayer, what are they? 
He can say yes immediately. He can say yes, but not now. He says that a lot. But sometimes he just says flat no. Now, let me just be honest with you. You're going to come to me sometimes with questions. Mark, why would God allow this to happen in my life? Why would he say no to this prayer that I've been praying for my sick loved one? Why would he say no to this situation where my marriage is falling apart? Why would he? There's, there's lots of answers to that. Uh, usually it stems from the fact that we live in a sinful, broken world. A lot of times we're dealing with sinful, broken people who are a part of those equations. But sometimes there's just questions that I can't answer. I don't know why, 100% why, 100, uh, you know, hard things happen in our lives and not in someone else's life. A lot of times I'd, I'd love for people to come up to me and, and ask me this question, why are so many great things happening in my life? That's not usually the question I get. But when hard things come, there's sometimes, I'm just going to be honest with you, I don't know the answer. I don't know why God says no to some things. I do know that sometimes he says no for very specific reasons, and they're listed in our scripture. Can I share those with you now? Sometimes God says no to us, because when we pray to him, we're choosing to uh, not repent of some sin that we're in. We're brazen in our rebellion in some area of our life. And so we come to our Father and we say, don't mind that, but please give me this. And the scriptures say, I mean, just look at the story of the nation of Israel. Oftentimes, Israel will cry out to God for deliverance and he'd say, deliver you guys. You haven't paid attention to me for years. You've been worshiping idols. You've been doing all this crazy stuff. Tell you what, let's repent of those things, and then we could talk about what comes next. The writer of Proverbs in chapter 28 says, If anyone turns a deaf ear to my instruction, even their prayers are detestable, says the Lord. Wow. A lot of times we don't take sin seriously. Just know that God does. And that if you are unrepentant, Unwilling, I, I talk about it in terms of this. Anybody seen me do this before? Here you go, Father, here's everything in my life. Oh, except for this, but here's everything in my life. And now here's what I want. Here's my requests. And God says, well, can we talk about this? Let's talk about this before we talk about whatever you're asking. Sometimes he says no because we're choosing to hold on to sin. Sometimes he says no because we're asking according to our own selfish desires. James, in his letter, writes in chapter 4, when you ask, sometimes you don't receive because you ask with wrong motives, that you may spend what you get on your pleasures. God's not a hearer of selfish prayers. Hey, God, I got a prayer for your good car, but you know what would be better? Three of them. Give me three cars. Lord, you know what would be uh, something awesome for me is a big boat. I said this last service. Guy comes up to you right after the service is over. He's like, thanks a lot. Because <laughs> apparently him and his wife were talking about a boat. Anyway, all right. Uh, listen, I'm not saying that any of those things are inherently evil for you to own. There's people who own big boats in here. God bless you. Have a good time this afternoon while you're out there on the bay, okay? I'm not here to down on any possessions. I'm just here to say if you ask for things from God and your only reason for asking them is so that you might receive the glory, that you might receive the joy, that you might benefit. He's going to look at that thing, and he's going to be like, I don't know about that, bro. You shouldn't be asking me for stuff that's all about you. He's a good father like that. Another reason that he sometimes doesn't answer our prayers with a yes or, a, or even a maybe, he just says no, is that we ask without faith. Lots of places in Scripture talk about this. It might surprise you that we as Christians can sometimes just go rote learning. We can just do the things we're supposed to do, but we don't really have our hearts behind them. And God says, hey, man, 
If you don't believe that I can do that, why would I even bother? In James, again, chapter 1, it says, uh, if you lack wisdom, you should ask. And God will give it to you. But when you ask, ask believing and do not doubt. Because a man who doubts is like a, a wave being tossed to and fro by the wind. He's a double-minded man. He's a person without faith. And he should expect that request to be given because he's not sure that God can do it in his heart. I pray that all the time. I prayed right after this last service for someone who, who needs God's healing intervention in their cancer uh, you know, journey. And I pray this all the time. It doesn't always get answered with a, a healing, but I pray this, Lord, I know you can heal Steve of his cancer. I know that. I believe that to be true, and if it is your will to do so, we don't need doctors, we don't need medicine, we don't need radiology, we don't need you know, uh, chemotherapy. You, by your grace and your power, are able to create us and restore us. I believe it, amen. That is a prayer, I believe, that God hears. It's not a guarantee that if I get the formula right, God's gonna give me exactly what I want every time, but I know that if I ever pray and I say, I'm not sure you can do this, Father, but I'm going to ask anyway, he's like, hey, man, wait till you're sure. And we'll talk then. Sometimes, as we've read here in 1 John 5, God says no to us because what we're asking for does not match his will. It doesn't matter if we understand why. It doesn't match his will. It's a test of our, our faith, our trust in him to just believe, hey man, God, I'm praying for this. I'm praying for this healing. I'm praying for this deliverance. I'm praying for my marriage to be restored. I'm praying, I'm praying, I'm praying. But your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. And some people hear these uh, you know, sermons on prayer, these little snippets, and they're like, I don't know if I even want to bother with that. It seems like it's too... Too tough. There's a lot of standards. There's a lot of things. I'm like, I don't know, prayer. I don't even know if it works. All right? And this is, can I just take two minutes and talk about how this is the complete opposite approach you should have to prayer? Some people think prayer is just about me getting what I'm asking for. And certainly that's a part of prayer. I'm not saying that that's not included. But that is nowhere near the primary purpose of prayer. Everybody understand this about prayer. Look at me. If you don't hear anything else today, understand this. If you pray to God, its primary purpose in your life should be your intimacy with him, your dependence on him, not the answers you receive or do not receive as a result of praying those prayers. Are you with me? Prayer is for our intimacy with God, for our understanding of him, for our increased submission to him in life. And, and so the argument goes, well, God didn't give me what I want, so I'm not going to talk to him anymore. And I can't understand why my relationship with him isn't growing. Weird. Well, it's because when you stop praying to God, you enter into this echo chamber of, of self. There's a confirmation bias called you and your opinions of God and your, your, your sensing of his goodness and your... Uh, uh, you're, you're uh, you know, thinking on your relationship with him, and it's all coming from here, from your heart, which Jeremiah says is desperately wicked. <laughs> and 
and it's just going to pervert what you see of you and God. But if you, by faith, open your heart to God and accept from him whatever his answers are and stay in communication to him, you, you can become like his son was in the Garden of Gethsemane. Anybody remember that? Jesus is about to be crucified. He's hanging out in the darkness of night. He's just had the Last Supper with his disciples. They're all falling asleep over there in what is meant to be a prayer group meeting. But he is awake, and he is suffering to the point where his capillaries are bursting as he prays. He's that anxious over his own death. And he says to his father, Father, if you could pass this cup over me, great! But does anybody remember the next line? But not my will be done, but yours, Father. You know what that was born of? And some of you say, well, that's the triune relationship. They've been existing for eternity in the Trinity. Father and son are totally tight. That totally makes sense. But God came in the form of a human being. He's us. He's frail. He dies. He doesn't want to die. In his humanity, Jesus does not want to die. He doesn't say that otherwise. But in his intimacy with the Father, he says, but listen, Dad, I trust you. Let your will be done. I believe that was born of his early mornings where he and the Father would spend time alone together. Jesus was always sneaking off without the other humans so he could talk to God, his Father. And they had this lockstep. Read the Gospels. I and the Father are one. And that's the purpose of prayer, the power of prayer is for us to have the intimacy that God desires us to have. All right, here comes one of the tougher parts of the passage. Everybody ready? Strap in. Here we go. First part's kind of easy. First 16. Everybody with me? And this is the confidence that we have towards him. I'm sorry. That was verse 15. I'll start reading verse 16 with you guys now. You ready? If anyone sees his brother or sister committing a sin not leading to death, That person shall ask, and God will give that other person, committing the sin not leading to death, life to those who commit sins that do not lead to death. Okay, got to define some things. What sins are those sins that do not lead to death? Well, let's start about who we're praying for first. It's a brother or a sister. And so John is saying to fellow believers, hey, when you see someone who is in Christ, who has received Jesus, secured eternal life, if you see them, Uh, starting to kind of drift. And in this church that he's writing to, that was happening. These false teachers had come in, they had started teaching all this mess about who Jesus was and was not, and people were starting to side with them. And so certainly that's in his heart, I think, as he's writing this. And he says, hey, when you see fellow believers starting to stray from the path that God has for them, then you need to pray for them. Ask of God. To, to snap their heads around, to bring them back in the line with him so that they can have life. Now, the sins that don't lead to death are sins that believers commit that wreck their sanctification and lead them away from intimacy and life with God. But they're sins that don't lead to them being separated eternally from God because we know that if we have faith in Christ, we are secure for eternal life. Are you with me? Now, he's going to get... Uh, uh, into the next part of this verse and talk about the sins that do lead to death. Can I just kind of pop the cork on that real quick? The only, look at me, the only sin that leads to death in existence, like eternal separation, death, from God is the sin of disbelief in the gospel of Jesus Christ. So I'm yeah, but like, what about suicide? I grew up in this particular church and they said if you commit suicide, that's one of those mortal sins and, you're no long, and you don't go to heaven. That's not in your books. 
The Bible says over and over in different ways, the blasphemy of the Holy Spirit, uh, the, the, the rejection of the gospel. If, if there is a sin that leads to death, it is tied to the rejection of Christ, period, done. Are you with me? Okay. So what is John saying here in verse 16? Hey, man, if you see something, say something. Remember that around, some of us were old enough, 2001, 9-11. That was the big thing right after the buildings came down. See something, say something. We were all on high alert. There could be more terroristic acts happening. If you see something, say something. That works in the Christ life. That works in the church. If we are followers of Jesus together and we see one of the sheep heading out of the fold and heading off into the woods where danger lurks, we need to sound the alarm. We need to be the ones who say, hey man, that's not who we are. That's not what we do as we follow Jesus. And if we don't, can I just make sure we're clear on this? We don't do it like, nah, 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 nah. you should be more like me. I'm a great Christian, you're lousy. That's not the point. The point is, like uh, Lana was saying, it's team sport. Christianity is a team sport. We do this together and when people go astray, we say something. But we don't just say something to them, we say something about them to our Heavenly Father. Hey, Father, did you know so-and-so? And he's gonna be like, yeah, I'm God. But okay, but can you please help so-and-so get back on the path? It's both and. See something, say something. To the person and to our God. Oftentimes it's imbalanced. Sometimes people are chicken and they never wanna to talk to the actual person about the things that they need to change because, oh, I don't wanna wreck our relationship. Go ahead and wreck it. It's on its way to wrecking anyway if they're gonna leave Jesus. Just say what needs to be said. Are you with me? That's right. But don't miss out on the opportunity that you have to intercede on their behalf. Talk to your father on their behalf and say, God, please, you and me, however you want to work this, work through me, work through my words, but I am praying that Tobin brings his life back to Jesus. He's fine. I just saw him, and that's why I brought him out. All right. If you got kids who are kind of off the ranch like Eleanor and I do, this is what we're doing. Every chance we get, hey, you guys, you need Jesus. We're trying not to be like the you know, Chinese water torture drip on their forehead, but, but we're trying wherever we get a chance to say, hey, you know what? I'm so excited for when you come back to Christ. Man, I can't wait for you to lead worship at our church because you're an awesome musician and, and God gave you that gift for his glory. But I'm saying that stuff to them. And you gotta know, every time Eleanor and I bow our heads, we are like, God, please. Anybody praying those reckless prayers? Lord, whatever it takes. Do it to him, do it to us, do however you gotta do to snap this kid's around and pull his head out. Are you with me? <laughs> he says, when you pray, God will give life to that brother or sister. And some of you might think, wait a minute, I we already had life. Haven't we already secured eternal life? Just recognize this. There's two parts to this life that we have with Christ. Salvation is what initiates life and seals life for us in him for eternity, right? But there's this process of living that we all have that we can choose still, even as we have relationship with Christ through our faith, we can still choose to obey him or not. Anybody want to raise hands and say that's how it is in yours? That's how it is in my life. Just me. Okay, so the rest of you perfect people, don't need to pay attention to this, but for the rest of us who still sin sometimes, even though we're in relationship with Christ, we understand these are sins that don't lead to death. They don't separate us from Christ, but they lead us away from God. And hear it, away from the life that he wants so badly to give us. 
Jesus said to his early followers, I came so that you might have life and have it to the full. And Christians all the time say, you know what, full life, not interested. I'm going to go do this instead. And they miss out on the other part of Jesus' message, which was this. Come, all you who are weary and heavy laden, and I'll give you what? Rest. You want life like it has never been before? Come and hang out with me. Stay with me. I'll give you life to the full. Full doesn't mean lots of stuff. Full means rest, contentment. Peace, that's where you find it, with me in life. And so when people leave that, we sound the alarm. We talk to the Father, we talk to them. Come back to life, the life that you were given in Christ. This might help. If you got in your car after you're done here and you're sitting on 60 at a light and the wife or the husband next to you or the kid in the back seat says, you know what? Air conditioning in the middle of July is nice. Certainly the safety of this car in traffic is great. But you know what I think I want? I want to run around with the cars. They slip out of your car and they start running next to your vehicle. Just go slow enough. We'll get it there at the same time. You would look at them first of all and be like, what is the number to Baker Act this person, right? But the second thing you would do would be a thing of concern. What are you doing? You're in traffic. It's hot. You're going to get sweaty and smell. You're going to get back in the car. Is that everybody's first move? What are you doing out there? That's not how this works. Get in the car. And then that person's like, okay, fine. And then they get back in the car and they're like, oh, you're so right. This is way better than out there. It was hot out there. And that big truck almost hit me. That was really bad. This is what happens over and over again in our lives. We laugh at that because it's silly and stupid. But we Christians are like, you know what? I'm in life to the full. I've experienced my rest. You know what would be better? Playing in traffic. Getting outside of what God has for me. And the Father and those who follow with you yell at you from the rest that has been given us in Christ. And we say, what are you doing? Why are you running around out there? Get in the car. Sorry, sis, I'll quiet down. She said I was too loud. I'll finish up. Here we go. Verse 16, the second part of it says this. There is sin that leads to death. I do not say that one should pray for that. Here's the hard part. Ready? Here's what John just said. There's a sin that leads to death. That's that sin of disbelief. He's probably referencing the false teachers in these churches that he's writing to. There's people who have been teaching you false ideas. They've, they've glommed on to something that isn't our gospel. And that sin, that choice, is leading them to their death. And here's what he says about them. I'm not saying that you need to pray for those guys. Whoa. We get to pick and choose who we pray for. We get to kind of run the, you know, the, the, the wand over someone and say, oh, they'll never be saved. We don't need to pray for them. Now, is that what he's saying? I don't believe that's what he's saying. It says in other parts of our scripture that God wills that none should perish. Certainly there will be those who die without receiving Christ, but he wills that none should perish. But John, I think, is, is for effect saying, hey, listen, sometimes people get so far gone, we probably, like uh, Jesus told his disciples, if you're rejected in a town, if you're, uh, your message is uh, ridiculed and rebuked, what did he tell them to do? Wipe the dust off your shoes and head down the road. 
There's this, it's a hard thing for us to balance. In fact, let me, let me say this to you. I believe that we should still pray, believing, hoping for everybody. But I think what John is saying is that there's sometimes, there's people who just aren't going to believe. You're not going to know who those are. Don't go into your contacts and be like, maybe, maybe not. No, you know, don't. <laughs> but pray, ask you. But John says, hey, man, sometimes things can get so far gone. I'm not saying you should pray for that. When we have more time, I'll go into that one. In verse 17, it says, all wrongdoing is sin, but there is sin that does not lead to death. Again, if you grew up Catholic, you were taught mortal sins, venial sins. There's the ones that kill and the ones that don't. The only one that kills is the rejection of faith in Jesus Christ. So we know that Jesus secures eternal life. We know that God hears and answers the prayer, the prayers that align to his will. I'm going to go through these next three really fast. Are you ready? We also know that Jesus changes how we live. Look at what it says in verse 18. It says, we know, there it is, that everyone who has been born of God does not keep on sinning. Now, we just got done talking about how someone who is a believer, a brother or a sister, falls off into sin that we should pray for them. Does everybody get that? So John's not saying that you're going to be sinlessly perfect, and the people who believe that theologically, I just have a problem with that. I just don't think that's what this scripture teaches. What he is saying is something that he's revisiting from what he said a few chapters ago. In 1 John chapter 3, it says, no one born of God makes a practice of sinning. For God's seed abides in him, and he can't keep on sinning because he has been born of God. It's just not who we are if we're in Christ. In fact, one of the proofs of the root that is the seed of Jesus is the fruit of the spirit of Jesus. Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, right? These are the things that flow out of us. And, and certainly another proof of the presence of Christ in our lives is that we aren't comfortable with sin being a part of us anymore. I'm not saying perfectly but I'm saying when it comes to our attention, when we realize that there's something outside of God's will in our lives, we're going to deal with it. We're going to repent of it. We're going to seek to write it for the glory of God and for the good of the life he's given us. Are you with me? Jesus changes how we live. Jesus protects us as we live. Verse 18, we know that everyone who has been born of God does not keep on sinning, but he who was born of God protects him, and the evil one does not touch him. All right, John gets all kind of uh, you know, difficult to understand maybe in the English translation of this Greek sentence, but everybody reading this, uh, you know, back when he was writing it, would totally understand. He just said that everyone who has been born of God does not keep on sinning. So everybody who's a Christian, you're not going to be comfortable with sin. You're going to continue to work to repent of and be free of sin. But he says, he who was born of God protects him, the one who is born of God. Okay, so who's that? Most scholars agree with me when they say that he who was born of God is who? When a pastor asks you a question, what are you supposed to say? Jesus, that's right. And so Jesus is the one who was born of God who protects him, us, who have put our faith in Jesus and who are consequently by that faith Faith, also born of God. Jesus protects his brothers and sisters. Isn't that great? He stands in the gap. He builds a fence. Anybody ever been to the zoo? Man, you guys are lame. No one's been to the zoo? Okay, let's play. I'm almost done. Just stay with me. Who's grateful for the fence between you and the lions? Anybody been grateful? To the okay, I've been on safari. I got to let you know, no fences on safari. It's a little different experience. Makes me grab for the glad for the vehicle I'm in. I remember this one, TJ was there. I was on this one safari. 
And we're hanging out, and we got to this place where everybody parks to eat their lunches as they're halfway through the park. And our guide says, everybody roll out the windows. It's like 95 degrees. It's just blistering hot. Everybody's looking at these people. What? You want us to roll out the windows? And the guy just had to say one word to us. And we're like, cool, we'll roll up the windows. He said, monkeys. Like, monkeys? You know those cute little animals that, you know, everybody wish they had as a pet? He's like, they're nasty. And if you leave this window down, they're coming in this vehicle with their rabies, they're strong, and they're taking your food, and they might take a chunk of you with them. And so we're like, okay. <laughs> we sat there and ate our lunch. Another car pulls up. It's obviously a rental. There's a family in it. And they sit down. They don't have a guide telling them don't roll, to roll up the windows. And so they're feeding these monkeys. And then, he, I mean, I'm not kidding. Six, eight of these things just descend on the car saw the windows open, went in there. The, dad, the dad's in trouble still probably, but the dad throws the car door open. He's like, get out, get out. But the mom and the kids are in the back and these, they're just grabbing everything they can and ah, you know, scream at this and hopefully no one got bit, but it was a mauling. And we're sitting there, you know, eating our lunch and being like, <laughs> glad we got the windows. And that's Jesus in the life of those who follow the Father with him. He's the fence, he's the windows. He knows that there's a roaring lion out there seeking whom he may devour, right? And he says, no, if you stay with me, John 15, if you abide in me, I'll abide in you and you'll be protected. Because that's what he does. Last thing's this, we know that Jesus changes how we live, we know that Jesus protects us as we live, and we know that Jesus grants us discernment to live. And I'm so grateful for that. We know that Jesus grants us discernment to live. This is how John ends his book. And we know that the Son of God has come and has given us understanding so that we may know him who is true. See how many times he says true here in this, this couple verses. So we know him who is true and we are in him who is true in his son, Jesus Christ. He is the true God and eternal life. And then he closes with this really interesting little line. He, he's been calling the readers his little children throughout. You can go back and read it. But he says, little kids, little children, keep yourselves from idols. What's he saying when he says that? What, what, was, what was God saying to the children of Israel in Exodus when he made that essentially the first two commandments of the Big Ten? You shall have no other gods before me, God said. You won't bow down to any graven images, no idols. Why are those the first two things out of the chute? Because humans love idols. Sorry, babe. <laughs> we love them. We make idols out of everything. It's not just the tiki's with the candles in someone's you know, basement. It's money. It's the stuff that money can buy. It's people, good people. Some of you have made idols out of your kids. You're sitting here right now, worshiping them more than you worship a God. You made idols out of your spouses. You made idols out of your positions and your prestige. We make idols out of all kinds of stuff. And John says, hey, don't forget, God has given us his understanding. Jesus will help us with the truth. He'll lead us to the truth. He'll keep us in the truth so that we can avoid the idols that would lead us away from the truth. Listen to Jesus. Do as he says. Love him above all else. 
Walk in the light as he is in the light. And this life that has been secured for you for eternity. This life where you can pray to God and receive from them the things that he has in his will. This life that uh, you can live becoming more like Jesus and less like you were. This life where you deal with your sin. This life where he protects you and leads you not into temptation and delivers you from evil. This life that you have with him can be lived in truth with him. And that's what John wanted us to know. Let me pray. God, thanks for your grace. Help us to know what you know. To live in it, I pray. In Jesus' name, amen.